Now, as we, as we get started this morning, let me, let me just say this. What we've been talking about in our study of Revelation chapter 15 and 16, quite honestly, is a portion of Scripture that most Christians today want to try to keep under wraps. It is the truth of the Word of God just as much as John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that wholeheartedly. But the same Bible that teaches us that also teaches us in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. And I want you to listen very carefully. What it teaches us is that the God of the Bible is also a God of hatred. He is a God of wrath. He is a God of vengeance. And, and I know when you go to church, that is not what you came to hear. But you know what? It is what 21st century man desperately needs to hear. The God of the Bible has an absolute, utter hatred for sin. The God of the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 that every single bit of wickedness and ungodliness will bring forth His wrath. And God says, now listen, don't you get vengeance because vengeance is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And the fact is the God of the Bible is a God of vengeance and one day He is going to take that out on this planet. Now again, I realize that if you're a guest with us today, you're about, about this point, you're already going, Ooh, honey, we will not be back to this place again. And, and, and you know what? I, I understand that that is not probably what you woke up and said, you know what? I'd like to go hear a great encouraging message on the wrath of God today. But you see, listen, the, the fact is, you can never really appreciate the good news of the gospel that the Bible talks about until you understand just how really bad the news is for everyone that doesn't receive that gospel. Now listen, once you understand that bad news, buddy, when God comes along and tells you he loves you and he's a God of grace and mercy, whoo, praise the Lord, hallelujah. How would I get in on that grace? We, 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 we mess up in the 21st century because we think that man wants to hear about how loving and gracious and merciful God is. And you know what? 21st century man loves to hear about that because what, it, what he can do then is he can take God and put him in his proverbial little box and just kind of yank him out any time that he needs a little bit of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and then he can shove him back in there the rest of the week while he's wanting to have a great time. But we need to understand what makes God a God of love, what makes God a God of grace, what makes God a God of mercy and forgiveness is the fact that he is holy and he is just and every sin and disobedience will bring a sure recompense. And what we're talking about in Revelation 16 is that day when God has finally had enough. You can see that's our title. This is part five, and Lord willing, we'll conclude 
this 16th chapter this morning. We looked in verse 1 at the judgment commanded. Now, back in chapter 15, this just kind of set the stage for what we'll see in chapter 16 and what we've seen in chapter 16. But in chapter 15, what it lets us know in verse 1 is that while God has been extending grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, tenderheartedness and compassion and all of the wonderful words that we love to, to sing about and to talk about about God, what it says is that while God has been exercising that on our behalf for the last 6,000 years, at the same time, all of the sin and the disobedience and the injustices that have been taking place on this earth, God's wrath has been filling up in seven storage containers that he calls vials. And laid in the tribulation period, that's where we are in Revelation 15 and 16, laid in the tribulation period, what's going to happen is God is going to turn to the four beasts that are around the four corners of the throne, and he's going to say, all right, that's it. One of the four beasts, acting for all, is going to call in seven angels to come into the very throne room of God, and what the beast is going to do is he is going to begin to distribute to these seven angels the seven vials that have in them the wrath of God that's been filling up in them for the last 6,000 years. When we come to chapter 16 and verse 1, the judgment is commanded. God is telling these seven angels to go their ways. In verse 2, we see the judgment commenced. Now they're actually beginning to pour them out. They're told to go in verse 1. Now they're going in verses 2 through 9. We saw the pouring of the first vial resulted in the traumatic sores that break out all over men's bodies during the tribulation period. We saw the pouring of the second vial as the seas become toxic. And the third vial, the tainted streams, and basically what this passage is letting us know is that at this point in the tribulation period, again, we're way out into the last weeks, maybe even in the last days of the tribulation period. Every drop of water on this planet is going to turn into a horrifying, putrefying blood, and if any person is going to drink anything on this planet, they will be forced to drink blood. We saw the pouring of the fourth vial was the torrid sun. As the sun, according to the book of Isaiah, begins to burn seven times brighter, and man is all over his body on top of the excruciating sores that he has, and on top of the, the unbearable thirst that he's dealing with, now the torrid sun begins to just beat upon his body, and he's absolutely scorched and in terrible pain. And then we moved into a, a, a turning point in verse 10 all the way down to verse 21. The judgment completed. The judgment completed. Now, the, the, first, the first four vials had to do with the land. They had to do with the sea, the waters, the sun, all of those things. And now God begins a turning point in verse 10, and the pouring of the fifth vial as the domains of the beast are ruined. And God scores a direct attack on the, the kingdom of the Antichrist in verses 10 and 11. We looked at that. And then last week in verses 12 to 16, the pouring of the sixth vial, we looked at the directives for the battle as they were revealed. The directives of the battle are revealed. And we began to see 
what God reveals to us about the, the battle of Armageddon in those verses. And now today, we come to the fourth and final vial, the pouring of the seventh vial, and we'll be looking today at the damnation of Babylon is realized. The damnation of Babylon is realized. And there's, as we look at this passage, as we look at the pouring of the seven vials, what we're going to find is that John shows us here five specific things that will be taking place as this seventh vial is poured out. And all of these things that we're going to be looking at all have to do with something that God says in this passage is great. Now, let's look at the first one in verse 17. This is number one on your outline. The declaration of the great voice. The declaration of the great voice. And after you've written that, look at verse 17 in your Bible. It says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a, here it is, a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Okay, now let's, let's just look at a couple of things here so we can understand what's happening. Okay, now first of all, notice that this is the seventh angel. Now, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Revelation, you know that the number seven is very, very, very significant, not only to the Bible itself, but also to this particular book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Biblically, we would be a group of people that would understand that the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion or the number of perfection in the Bible. And here we are in this particular book of the Bible, which is the completion of God's perfect revelation. And in this book alone, just the book of Revelation, this final book, that completes the revelation of God. Just in this book alone, the word seven appears 59 times in this book. So obviously, it's very significant. And when you begin to just look at what the Bible reveals to us, it is somewhat interesting that as Jesus was pouring out his life as an offering for sin, he spoke seven times. And what we see here as God is pouring out his wrath upon sin is once again, the number seven is going to be significant as it is contained, his wrath is contained in these seven vials that we're talking about. And something interesting as you begin to look at this seventh vial is that the word great is found seven times in just the pouring out of this seventh vial. And, you know, if you're studying that and you're looking at it, you're going to just begin to, to look at that and say, oh, I wonder what's up with that. I mean, you can't miss the word great found seven times in that little passage. And as I began to look at that and just ask, okay, God, what's up with that? I began to see this is the outline that God is giving to us that we can follow. Just follow what is great in this passage. And God's going to break out this seventh vial that completes his wrath for you in perfect fashion. Notice the next phrase in verse 17. The, the seventh angel 
poured out his vial into the, into the where? Into the air. Okay, now, now, now track with me, y'all. There's two key things that the Bible has to say about Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 calls Satan the God of this, the God of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 calls him the prince of the power of the, the air. Now, now just check this out. Did you, you remember what happened in the pouring out of the sixth vial? It was God dealing with Satan's domain as the God of this world. And he scored a direct hit on the seat or the throne of the Antichrist on this world. Now the pouring of the seventh vial, God deals with Satan's domain as the prince of the power of the air. Now, the, the, the air... Okay, what are we talking about here? We would understand that that is the uh, arena of the first and second heaven. Now, the third heaven is where God dwells, right? Second heaven would be outer space, or what we would call outer space. And then the first heaven would be from the ground up, where the birds fly and the planes are and all that kind of stuff. But when we're talking about the prince of the power of the air... We're talking about that whole region in the first and second heaven. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in, in high places. And, and you see, this is the arena that God is needing to deal with and that God is wanting to deal with in the pouring out of this seventh vial. And we know this, according to Job chapter 15 and verse 15, j just listen to it. You know what Job 15, 15 says? It says, yea, the heavens are not, anybody know the word? They are not clean in God's sight. The heavens, God says, are not clean in my sight. That air is polluted. It's polluted with principalities and powers and rulers in this whole domain. And it is just somewhat interesting. I wish we had time to just exhaust all of this. But to get where we need to go today, we can't exhaust it. But if you check out Genesis chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, as it's talking about this whole area called, that God calls the firmament, the first and second heaven, if you will. On every other day, when God comes to the conclusion of that, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But this afternoon, go check it out on the second day when he made that first and second heaven God just mysteriously says nothing about it. You know why? Because Lucifer and his fallen angels went somewhere. You know where they went? They went into the first and second heaven, into the firmament, into the air, 
as it were, and God says, you need to know something. The heavens are not clean in my sight because I look in there and I can see something that you folks can't see. And oh my goodness, if we could see what was going on above our heads this morning, y'all, I'm telling you, it would freak every single one of us out. There would not be a person in here that I wouldn't believe would fall on their face before God and cry out and say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But God looks and God sees what's in that whole arena and at the pouring out of the seventh vial, God is going to deal with that air pollution and I'm not talking about the kind that you find in LA or San Francisco or Seattle. I'm talking about those principalities and powers and Satan himself and according to Job chapter 15 and verse 15, you know what he's going to do? He's going to clean it up. And, and something else that you may want to just factor into to this whole thing about God pouring out this vial into the air, okay? And, and you, you got to remember that before this has actually taken place, God has already done Satan a major facial right in the air. Because what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, you know what it says? That at the rapture of the church, those of us that right now are believers in Jesus Christ and those for the last several thousand years who died knowing Jesus Christ and their soul and their spirit went to be with him. You know what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17? It says that we are going to meet the Lord where? In the air. And so you see, before the pouring of the seventh vial, God has already done Satan a major facial because he comes out of heaven and the third heaven where he abides and he moves into the domain of that first and second heaven to meet us. You know why he comes out of heaven to meet us there? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 to 54 what it says is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What it says is that this corruptible body must put on what? Incorruption. This mortal body must put on immortality. And this is what Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 is talking about when it talks about the fact that what we're awaiting right now, our souls and spirits have already been redeemed. We are awaiting the adoption of sons to wit the redemption of the, of the body. That's what we're waiting on. And what it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, you know what it says? That what he is going to do is he is going to change our vile body to make it like unto his glorious body. And you know, out of all the places where God could have chosen to do that, you know where he chooses to do it? Right in the very place where Satan is supposed to be the prince and the power. He comes right down into his domain and he says, watch this. And what he does is he completes our redemption by giving us glorified bodies in the very place where Satan is supposed to be ruling. You know, I kind of like this Bible thing, man. God is a, a God of the facial when it comes to Satan. But he, he says that that thing is going to be poured out 
in the air. And he's going to deal with that whole realm where Satan is. Now, he did the facial at the rapture. And now, at the pouring of the seventh vial, he's dealing with that air. And notice the next phrase in verse 17. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne. Okay, now, now, now listen real carefully here. When the seventh seal was opened, back in chapter 8 and verse 1, you know what it says? It says there was silence in heaven for the space of about a half an hour. Okay, so the seventh seal is opened and there's silence in heaven. The seventh trumpet sounded in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And what it says is there were great voices, plural, in heaven. When the seventh vial is poured, here in verse 17, what it says is there is a great voice out of the temple in heaven. And as we just begin to look at this great voice in verse 17, the voice is great for several reasons. It's great in terms of its volume. I'm sure that what John was talking about here is, oh my goodness, there was a voice that was great. Oh my, it was, it was great in term of, uh, terms of its volume. But something else, it was also great in terms from the place from which it proceeds. Look at what it says. Out of the temple of heaven, from the throne. I mean, from the very throne itself. And then thirdly, the voice is great in terms of whose it is. Whose voice is this, y'all? This is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And John hears this, what he calls a great voice. And you know what it's saying? In this seventh vial that completes the pouring out of God's wrath, you know what it says? It is done. And you may want to just factor into this whole thing that just before Jesus died on the cross in payment for sin, remember what he said in John 19.30? He said, it is it is finished. And here we are just before Jesus returns to the earth to judge sin. And you know what he says? Same thing. It is finished. It is done. Now listen. In John chapter 19, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, you know what that was all about? All of the prophecies pointing to what Jesus would come to this planet and do, all of them were fulfilled except for one. There was one more thing. You see, the Old Testament prophesied that when he would be on that cross, they would give him vinegar to drink. And so knowing that every single thing that the Old Testament had prophesied concerning his life and his death had been fulfilled, Jesus came to that one thing and he says, Hey, y'all, I'm thirsty. They gave him the vinegar to drink, and you know what he did? He said, it is finished. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross right there for every single one of us is he paid in full the redemption that was necessary to buy us back into a relationship with God. He, the Bible says, became sin for us on that cross, and he died as the 
absolute perfect payment for sin. And at that point, his death, he had shed his blood to pay for our sin, and it was finished. But you've got to understand that if you never come to grips with what Jesus said on that cross when he said, it is finished, the statement that he will make in the tribulation period, it is done, will come to grips on you. And this is that balance that we were talking about at the beginning. God is a God of love, and he says as far as your sin is concerned, it's finished. It's paid for. You reject it, and God says in just the very near future, okay, it's finished. You're going to get exactly what you want. And so today I want to make sure that you understand that the God of the Bible is most definitely a God of love, but there will come a day of recompense. And that's what we're seeing right here. So he says, it is done. That's the declaration of the great voice. But then secondly, we see in verse 18, we see the devastation of the great earthquake. And for those of you that are getting your, your rest time in this week, it would be a good time to switch pages by this rustling that we hear here this morning. We looked at the declaration of the great voice, and then secondly in verse 18, the devastation of the great earthquake. And, and would you look at verse 18? It says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great and you, you by the time he gets through with verse 18 you understand this is quite the quake I mean he can't find another way to tell you just how absolutely devastating this earthquake is and notice how it begins verse 18 and there were voices and thunders and lightnings. Okay, now this is the fourth time that we've seen this phenomena in the, the book of Revelation. Would you go back to chapter 4 for a second? Chapter 4 and verse 5. It says, And out of the throne proceeded, here they come, lightnings and thunderings and voices. And look over in chapter 8 and verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And look at chapter 11 and verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And of course, that is exactly what we find in Revelation chapter 16, verses 18, right on down through verse 21. Now, this is something that you do see throughout the Word of God, this, this whole thing of the thunders, the voices, the lightning, and all of that. And just in, in a very general sense, as you begin to just look at the Bible and see, okay, what, what's, what's happening here? As you begin to go through the Word of God, you begin to see that, that these things are connected with just the absolute awesomeness of God's presence. For example, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, what happens in this passage is Moses goes up to Sinai 
to get the law of God. And what it says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, listen to it. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud in the mount so that all the people was, that was in the camp trembled. And again, here is the presence of God, the lightnings, the thunder, and the people tremble at it. It's the awesomeness of his presence. Ezekiel talked about the, the lightning that was coming out of the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 13 when he was there in the presence of God. And when he took it all in, it says, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. Again, it's just in a general sense connected with the awesomeness of God's presence. But in a more of a specific sense, what we see is that the thunders and lightnings and voices are connected with the wrath and judgment of God. And we see that four times in the book of Revelation. The awesomeness of God's presence, but even more specifically, as it relates to his wrath. And then, prophetically, this is what was prophesied in Psalm 77 and verse 18. Listen to it. Psalm 77, verse 18. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. And what the psalmist saw, what the psalmist had revealed to him in Psalm 77, 18, is this time that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 16, verse 18. And look, look at verse 18. It goes on to say that after the voices and thunders and lightnings, it says, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. Okay, now, now listen. When God says, now this earthquake... There's never been one like it since men were upon the earth. Now, does that jolt anything in your head when you hear that? Does it not jolt your mind to a time when men were not on the earth, but other spirit beings were called sons of God that followed the leadership of, of Lucifer? And remember what happened? Lucifer it rebelled. He wanted to be like the Most High. A third of the angelic host followed him in the rebellion. And what it says is that the earth came under judgment in Second Peter chapter 3. And what it says there is that it was submerged in water just like you find it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And in my mind, in my thinking, I'm thinking that there was probably also an incredible earthquake that took place as Lucifer raised his ugly head. And if it's connected with the wrath of God, with all the lightnings and thunders and voices and the earthquake, I, just the way that he says it, there's not been an earthquake like this since men were upon the earth. And it's just like that. There's never been an earthquake like this while we were here. Not to say that there could have been an earthquake like that at some time previous, but he says that this was so mighty an earthquake and so great. And this is the time that Isaiah would have seen in his prophecy. Jot down on your notes Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20. Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20. And would you just listen to it? Listen. Isaiah said, the earth is utterly broken down. The earth 
is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and thy transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. Sounds like a very devastating earthquake just like the one that we're talking about here. Haggai, the prophet, also talked about this earthquake in the book of Haggai chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Listen to it. Haggai 2, verses 6 and 7. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And again, what you have here is God saying just before the time the Lord Jesus Christ returns, God's going to take this earth and he's just going to shake it. And he says it's going to reel to and fro like a, like a drunk. This is that earthquake that, that he talks about here. And John says this will be the most devastating earthquake that has ever taken place in the history of of mankind and look at what it says in the second part of verse 19 it says and the cities of the nations fell listen this earthquake that he's talking about I mean he's, he's given every description that he could possibly give us to let us know how incredible how devastating this thing is but what he lets us know here is that the magnitude of this thing is such to where it levels the cities of the earth. Now listen, in John's mind, that would have been an incredible thing for places like Rome and Constantinople and, and Egypt and you know, other places like that, for, for cities in th those places to be brought to rubble. Oh my goodness, that would have been incredible. But I want you to start thinking about the time period that this will be fulfilled in the next few years. Can you imagine Manhattan? New York City absolutely, totally being leveled. The nations of the cities, or the cities of the nations, he says, shall fall. There ain't going to be a skyscraper left in New York, Rome, Chicago, L.A., New Philadelphia. Speaking of big cities. And you know what? I throw that one in there just so that we don't put this off into some far distant place and not realize the people we live near, work with, and are related to that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ that right now are living in rebellion against Him are people that most likely will be on this planet when this devastating earthquake takes place and you know what's going to take place at that point? There will not be a place of shelter on this entire planet. There will not be a home in any city on the earth left standing after God has taken the earth and in his wrath has begun to shake it. And not only that, look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found I just got back last week 
from the Philippines. The Philippines are comprised of more than 7,000 islands. Right now, it's a it's a time of harvest, man. This is the time to be getting the Word of God to these people. Because God says there's coming a time when there will not be an island anywhere remaining. After this earthquake, this great earthquake that he's talking about, there will be no more Philippines, y'all. Puerto Rico and Hawaii will be completely disassembled and covered with water. There will be no more islands anywhere. And listen, not only that, he, he says in verse 20, that not one mountain anywhere on the earth is going to be left standing at this point in the tribulation period. I call that a great earthquake. And then next, God singles out two key cities of the world and really two key cities that will be a part of the tribulation period to talk about the impact of, of these cities as the seventh vial is, is poured out. The, the first one is mentioned in verse 19. And this is number three on your outline. The division of the great city. So we move from the declaration of the great voice to the devastation of the great earthquake and now the division of the great city. And verse 19 says, And the great city was divided into three parts. Okay, now, we saw in the second part of verse 19, would you look back up there? We saw in the second part of verse 19 that when the earthquake hits, all of the cities of all of the world are going to be absolutely and completely demolished, all except for one. The one that he calls here the great city, and what he says is it will be divided into three parts. Now, the big question is, what's the great city, right? And, and I want you to just think with me for just a second, okay? And, and this is strictly from a, a, a human perspective, and I understand that. I'll give you God's perspective in just a second. But I want you to just think about it from a human perspective for just a minute. Here we are, and this morning we're living in 2001, Okay, And at this time in man's 6,000-year-old history, there is one particular city that on a weekly or a daily basis gets more attention than any other city in the entire world. If you just, if you just played the tapes from CNN this week and you were going to say, what is the most important city on this planet, you'd come up with this city. This is the city that has been the center of more conflicts through history than any other city in the world. This is a city that is the subject of more continuous controversy than any other city in the world. Again, historically, right up to this present moment, this is the most contested piece of property on the entire face of God's earth, and it just happens to be the city that is of the greatest importance to worldwide peace right now in 2001 than any other city in the world, and it just happens to be the city whose name means the city of peace. It is the city of... I'm glad you didn't miss that. <laughs> 
I mean, I was building that thing all the way up, going, surely, surely, we're going to get it. You got it. That's cool. And again, I'm asking you, just in light of that little brief synopsis I just gave you, what is the great city? But you know what? That's a human perspective, and that and 75 cents will give you a cup of coffee at McDonald's. It doesn't mean a whole lot. What about God's perspective? This is the city. Then in Psalm 137 and verse 6, God calls the preferred city. In Psalm 102, verse 13, he says it is the favored city. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, it says it's God's chosen city. Psalm 48, verse 1, says it is the city of God. Psalm 48, verse 2, says it is the city of the great king. Psalm 137 and verse 5 says that it is the city that God will not forget. Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, calls this the holy city, and just so we didn't miss it, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8 clearly identifies it as the great city. And you got to understand as you just begin to factor this in and what's taking place there, you got to just factor in that this city is great, not just because of what's happening there today. This city is great because of what did happen there. And this city is great because of what will happen there. You know what I'm talking about? As you begin to to identify the Garden of Eden through the Word of God, and you just begin to cross-reference that thing through, what you're going to find out is that the very heart of the Garden of Eden is a particular place where Lucifer once had a throne where he ruled on this earth over beings called sons of God. And from that particular place in the Garden of Eden, according to Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13, he led a rebellion against God. We talked about that earlier. You know where that throne was? That throne was in the city, what we call, of Jerusalem. What God says is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, you know where he's going? To set up his kingdom and sit on a throne on this planet? He's going to Jerusalem where a throne once was, where one who wanted to be like the Most High used to sit. And he's going to come and he's going to sit down and he's going to rule over all the earth for a period of a thousand years over beings that are called sons of God. You and I, y'all. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And I submit to you that this place is the great city, not only because of what's going on there right now, and there's a lot going on today, but something was going on there in the past, and in the real near future, something's getting ready to happen. And you know why all that stuff is happening over there right now? In anticipation of what is getting ready to happen because, listen, the entire message of this book, Satan knows that this is where the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And all the way through this book, you know what it is? It's a battle about that throne. 
And everything is moving right now toward the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Jerusalem and sitting on that throne. And Satan has got all that conflict going over on, uh, in the Middle East in that particular area because he's fighting tooth and nail to make sure that it doesn't happen. But I can assure you it is going to happen. And at the pouring of the seventh vial, now listen, this is, this is so key. What takes place at the pouring of the seventh vial is God is going to get Jerusalem ready for the Lord Jesus Christ to take that throne in that great city. What he wants to do is he wants to get that city ready for the central role that it's going to have for that next thousand year period that we call the millennium. And in order to get that city ready, he says he's going to, at this earthquake, he's going to divide it into three parts. And I want you to go back to uh, right toward the end of your Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. If you go to Matthew and just hang a left, you'll find it real quick. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, now listen, in Zechariah 14, verses 4 to 12, it's the expanded version of what we're talking about over here in Revelation chapter 16 and the division of this city of Jerusalem. And he, he goes into further detail and lets us know what's actually going to be taking place in this whole little time sequence that's going to be taking place most likely within an hour's period of time, in my estimation. In, in Zechariah chapter 4, what it, what's going to take place, uh, I'm sorry, 14, look at verse 4. What's going to happen is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. He's coming to the Mount of Olives, and what he says is going to happen in verse 4 is it's going to split in two, and it's going to create a, a new valley that runs east and west. If you drop down to verse 8, what you find is that there is going to be a spring of water that's going to flow year-round from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean and Dead Sea. And look at verse 10. What it says, now try to picture this in your mind, Jerusalem is actually going to be elevated and all the area around it will be flattened into a plain. Now again, I, I can't, I, I don't know that I fully understand the whole thing of it dividing into to, to three parts. I haven't got that figured out. I just know that's what he's gonna, what's going to happen. And what Zechariah says in verse 10 is Jerusalem itself, as it's divided into three parts, is going to be lifted up. It's going to be elevated. And all of that area surrounding it is going to be flattened into a plain. And so what we begin to learn as we see this over in Revelation chapter 16, just hang here in Zechariah 14 for just a second, but what we're understanding then is that the purpose of this earthquake as it unfolds on this planet is certainly to annihilate all the nations of the world as it comes upon them in judgment, but it, evidently this is not a matter of judgment as it is concerning the nation of Israel. What this earthquake is actually going to do is renovate Jerusalem so that it can be ready to fulfill its role during the millennium as the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this great city to rule and reign over the earth. And as he does come back, and oh my goodness, this is, this is incredible. Would you look at verse 12? The same context here, Zechariah 14. 
And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Okay, now remember, the sixth vial was all of the people coming to Jerusalem in that area there to fight the battle of Armageddon. They're coming against the nation of Israel and their Christ. And watch what he says is going to happen. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. This is what, this is what Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, that when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven, he's coming in how? Flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and obey not the gospel of God. And what he says is he's going to bring upon them absolute and total destruction. And this is, oh, I, I just, I didn't watch the movie. So if you go, I'm not recommending the movie. I guarantee you it was trash. But I did catch the end of the Terminator going through the channels one night. And I'm standing there and or, or, watching this thing. And the guy is standing at the, it looked like they were at a softball field, for those of you that have seen the movie, standing there at the fence. And you know what it is? It's Zechariah 14, 12, man. The flesh consumes away of their body. You just see it go. The eyeballs just go. It's, it's perfectly what you see there. And that's not going to be, you know, Terminator 3, man. This is going to be reality. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Okay, so we move from the declaration of the great voice and the devastation of the great earthquake to the division of the great city. And now we come to number four, the damnation of great Babylon. The damnation of great Babylon. Verse 19 goes on and says, And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Okay, now, now, now listen, we've already seen every city of every nation in the world is going to be absolutely devastated at the pouring out of this seventh vial, of course, other than the great city, and we just talked about that. But you've got to understand, the absolute and worst judgment is reserved for one particular place. And that place, according to verse 19, is Babylon, and it will be damned by God Almighty Himself. Now, we're going to go into great detail on this when we come to, to Revelation chapter 18. That's what the entire chapter is about. What Revelation 18 is simply a commentary of this, this phrase right here in Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. It goes into great detail about the, the destruction and damnation of Babylon and this whole thing of it coming in remembrance before God and God giving unto her, go on in the verse, giving unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And, and just to give you an idea, if you're in Zechariah 14, go back to Revelation and let's go over to chapter 18 for just a second, just to give you a, a little idea of the damnation that is going to come on this particular place. Would you look at verse 21? Revelation 18. 
And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, now listen. Just check out that little phrase right there. No more at all. It'll be found no more at all. Now, just watch it as we continue on in verse 22. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. And you begin to get the idea that God says this place is going to be no more. I'm coming down, and that place, and that place is going to take my wrath. And what it says in Revelation or in chapter 18 in this context is it's talking about the damnation of Babylon. What it says is that this particular place on the planet is going to be forced in one hour's time, listen now, to drink down this vial of wrath that's being poured out on that city. You see, and you got to understand now, Babel, Babylon. This is a key, key place in the Word of God. In Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11, what you begin to see is the first time kingdom appears in the Bible. It has to do with a king by the name of Nimrod, whose name means rebellion. He is seeking and hunting for men to be a part of his kingdom that is a kingdom of rebellion, that is a a kingdom that has to do with a tower, which is the religious aspect of the kingdom. It has to do with a city, which is the governmental aspect of it. And what he is trying to set up is a one world government and a one world religion that is against God and the first place you see it is in Babel or Babylon and from that point in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 10 every time you find it Babylon is always going to represent that kingdom of Satan that religious governmental kingdom that he's wanting to establish on this earth and it goes all the way through the Bible and at this point at the pouring out of the seventh vial evidently as that that seventh vial holds all that God remembers about Babylon from Genesis 10 10 all the way through and it's poured out and as it's pouring out it comes into God's remembrance and in one hour's time they the Babylon is forced to drink down God's wrath that's been filling up for the last 5,000 years against that city. And they'll drink it in one hour's time, and God says, it will be no more at all. Just incredible. What it it says here in in Revelation chapter 16 is, is it will be fierce as they are forced to, to drink down God's wrath. So, in the pouring out of this seventh vial, we've seen the declaration of the great voice, the devastation of the great earthquake, the division of the great city, the damnation of great Babylon, and then 
last, number five on your outline, the destruction of the great hail. The destruction of the great hail. Look at verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Okay. Now, now, what I want you to do is I want you to keep in mind everything that has happened to this point in the pouring out of these seven vials. Okay, here are all of the people who are part of the kingdom of the Antichrist who have taken his mark. And you remember, they've got all over these, their body, they have these excruciating sores that have broken out that have left them in torment. There's no place to get comfortable. There's no way to lay. There's no way to sleep at night. They are in absolute torment because of the sores. I, I took some medication this morning to dry up my, my head, and man, my, my lips, my mouth is parched. Listen, it is nothing like the time period on this planet when there is no water to drink but blood. Men's mouths will swell, their tongues will become black and purplish, their lips will burst as they are just in excruciating pain, not only from the sores, but because of the incredible thirst on top of that, the sun is just beaten down and it's just like a blowtorch on them. Their, their body has second and third degree burns all over it. They are in absolute torment. And as that begins to take place, God turns out the lights while they're still burning. And now it's in darkness and the earth has literally become hell on earth at, at this point. And then in the midst of all of the, the, the darkness... This incredible earthquake begins to just devastate the entire earth and everything, any building, any place of shelter as we talked about on this planet is absolutely brought down to rubble. There's no place to hide. And at this point, man is going to think it cannot get any worse than this. And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness begins to drop out of heaven these incredible hailstones. And look at what he says. In, in verse 21, every stone about the weight of a talent. Now, now you see, we talk about, man, I'm telling you, there was hail the size of marbles out there. We, we talk about hail the size of golf balls. And we're going, you're kidding me. There's been places on this planet that have had hail, you know, Texas-sized hail, like baseballs. You can go back in history and find out in France, there have been times when it's been like softballs and grapefruits. Those were nothing. You know what a, a talent is? A talent is the weight that a normal man could conveniently carry. A talent is the weight that a normal man could conveniently carry. In Egypt and Greece, a talent was 86 pounds. In Jerusalem, a talent was 120 pounds. Take your pick. Somewhere between 86 and 120 pounds, these hailstones are dropping out of the sky. And listen, and there's no place to hide. 
it's not like you go into some building, there are no skyscrapers left. It's not like you go down in your basement because you can't get to it because your house is leveled. You can't go to a cave because all of the mountains have been brought down to nothing. And here are people in this excruciating pain and, and thirst and utter darkness, and you've got hail dropping literally out of the sky like this, bigger than a beach ball, just pelting the earth. Unbelievable, unbelievable period of time on this planet. In fact, you might want to just jot down Job chapter 38, verses 22 and 23, because Job talked about this hail that was going to fall at this time of judgment. And as I began to look at that thing, I began to say, man, I wonder, I wonder why God did that. You know, I, with all these others, remember, we could always find out why God had that plague come. There was always a reason. We, 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 I won't go through all of that again. But, but, but check this out. Go back to verse 9. Remember what happened when the men were scorched with the great heat? It says they blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. When you drop down to verse 11, in the midst of that darkness, it says they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And you know what, listen, do you know what Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 16 says? According to God's law, do you know what Leviticus 24, 16 says you're to do with a blasphemer? You got it. You stone him. You stone him. L listen to it. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. And you know what happens at the pouring out of this seventh vial? God fulfills his own law by stoning every blasphemer on this planet with hail stones weighing in excess of a hundred pounds apiece. Unbelievable. And you know what's even more unbelievable than that? Look at the last phrase. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. God is stoning them for the very thing that they turn right around and do. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Listen, the plague of the hailstones, you know what it's going to do? It's going to drive men further into their sin, into their blasphemy of God. After all of that, they still refuse to repent. And, and before we, we pack up and we split, listen, that is probably the most unbelievable chapter in the Bible. I, I don't mean in terms of I don't believe it. I do believe it. That's what makes it so unbelievable. 
is that men could be that bent on defying God and choosing hell, choosing judgment, choosing destruction, choosing damnation. But I got to tell you, the more we have preached from these passages, the more I do understand how it's going to happen. Because to be quite honest with you, every, every week we have people that, that are in this room that hear about all of this. And, and I, I just got to tell you, I know that I am not the epitome or even close of being eloquent as far as speaking ability. But I do know this. I do know when this book goes forth, the Spirit of God does take that in a supernatural way to the hearts of people. And what is wild is people can hear about everything that will take place because we're talking about a book that has never missed in any prophecy for the last 6,000 years. And it ain't going to miss with any of this stuff. And yet people will be in this room, the Spirit of God taking it to their hearts. And not that they willfully, at this point, blaspheme God, but they, like it says here, refuse to repent. And if you're here today, and you are still outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. And listen, if God is speaking to your heart, could I challenge you today to at least talk to somebody about what God is doing in your life before you reject that, lest you end up in this horrendous period of time because you have refused to repent in this setting. And listen, I'm not trying to scare you into anything. I promise you I'm not. I'm not trying to freak you out in, in any way, shape, or form. I, I, this is, I'm not trying to get you to make some emotional decision. Oh, my goodness, though. I do want you to know the truth of what God says is going to take place in the very near future on this planet. And I want you to be able to do something about it while you still have the time and while God is at work in your heart, taking this to your heart. So if you're here today and you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room as, as we're concluded. And our people are going to be going into small groups all over this building for 25 or 30 minutes or so to just talk about some of the, the ramifications of the things that we've talked about practically for our lives. But now listen, while they're going to do that, if God has spoken to your heart today, this is the time for you to be listening to God and to do what God has been trying to take this message and bring it to your heart so that you can respond to his love today, to his grace and his mercy as today he invites you to come and receive him into your life as you repent of your sin and go in your own way. If you have questions about that, man, you know what? Nobody's going to force you into anything. Nobody's going to make you do anything. 
But if God is speaking to you about that today, would you please, while he's speaking, talk to someone who can take you and address some of your questions further in the Word of God so that you can leave here today knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and have absolutely no fear whatsoever of his wrath or the things that we've talked about today. Would you bow your heads with me? And Lord, I, I pray right now for our friends who are here today that do not know you as, as their Savior. And I, I pray, Lord, I, I pray that even now they would respond in obedience in terms of their attitude to what you're doing in their hearts right now. And Lord, I I do pray that this would be the day of salvation as it has been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are in this room today. And may this be the day of salvation for some of the friends that have come to be with us in this service. I pray that right now you would flush all of the human element of all of this. And may the Spirit of God right now be free to do His bidding and His work in the hearts of people that need to know you today. And Lord, as we go to our flocks this morning, and we talk about the significance of this passage to our lives, I pray that you would help us to get this to where it is practical us and usable as we seek to be lights in the midst of the darkness of these last days. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.